Greetings, loyal deviants, near and far. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dark and Devious. Welcome back. Welcome. How you doing? Hope all is well in your neighborhood. For a second, I was about to say, was that rhetorical? Because we've been talking before and like, I thought you meant literally, how's it going to me personally? Oh, no. I know all about you, Chris. Yes. We've, we've established personally that we're, we're doing all right. Yeah. I just want to know how our deviants were doing. Yes. I would, I, I picture someone now talking back to their <laughs> listen, their device, be like, actually, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Do you guys ever have conversations with us? Like, when we say, like, some shocking fact, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I remember <laughs> that in the news. <laughs> I hope so. I hope that, that people are listening and they're, like, physically reacting to what we're saying. That'd be great. There, There have been times when I've been listening to podcasts where I know, like, I listen to a lot of my podcasts when I'm walking the dog, mm-hmm. and I know that like when I hear an interesting fact or like a shocking fact, like I know that like I'll make a like a shocked facial expression <laughs> or like an oh like a inquiry facial expression yeah. like, mm. like what? Um, and I wonder how many people have ever seen me and like what's that weirdo doing? What's great is uh, a lot of times if I'm if I'm uh, working early in the morning before we open and I've, I've just got a podcast in my ear and sometimes, and I, I listen to a lot of, a lot of true crime and news related stuff. So sometimes when I'm listening to something and they're talking about a story and, and they're just talking about something that's really messed up and I'm like muttering to myself, like that is really effed up. Like, and, and then, like, it helps when I have a mask on because then nobody can see that my lips are moving when I'm just by myself doing whatever my task is. Uh-huh. So Yeah, I don't think I've ever spoken to myself, but I know there have been times where I've been like, <gasps> you know, yeah. and then like a, like a wah. We, in, we strive to inspire that. Mm-hmm. We also strive to keep our listener audience growing. Yes, which we've got two things to mention on that front mm-hmm. first i noticed that we finally have reached all the age demographics that anchor tracks yes we now have underage listeners from age it it categorizes them as zero to 16 i really would love if it's like a three month old that has no idea what's going on and <laughs> it's like they just but also why would they have a like a spotify account or something right yeah but you know kids these days kids these days they grow up so quickly you know one month they are are being born and then the next month they are influencers influ- <laughs> <laughs> i yeah like 
when I was seven, I just wanted a crayon box with a crayon sharpener. Oh, yes. That was the best with like the 64 crayon pack. Uh-huh. And now some of my students have nicer phones than I do, <laughs> which blows my mind. I know. I think about how often I update my phone, like get a new phone, and I've always just I basically keep my phones until they, they start slowing down. Same. So but, yeah, so So we finally got like teenage and under listeners. So mm-hmm. if that's you and you're listening, thank you for listening and and for helping fill out, round out our total audiences uh, age demographic. Yes. Yes. Um, and then also whoever is in Bulgaria, you you devious little bean. Yes, thank you, Bulgaria, for for li- tuning in and listening. Uh, that is another country to add to the list. Mm-hmm. I would like to know what episodes draw our international Yeah. Listeners. Because, you know, everyone in the U.S., I assume it can be any... Any episode. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if it's if it's something that's been featured regionally, like yeah. if someone is, or if like we got Canadian listeners because of the Ken and Barbie Killers, maybe. or Jennifer and Jennifer or the, Pan. Yeah, that one was a good one too. Or did we get Japan because of Issei Saigawa? Oh yeah, maybe. But then Bulgaria, we ain't been there. We haven't gone. We haven't ventured that way. So we just have a really well-rounded inquisitive listener in in bulgaria yeah so welcome yes welcome um any news that you want to share chris personal or otherwise boy it has just been a really busy week i have really enjoyed uh reflecting back on last week's episode and I believe I did mention to Kai that she has to listen to this that last episode because she helped me, helped inspire me to choose that topic. So that was very fun, mm-hmm. and yeah, I know. I just it's funny how often that now comes up in conversation, or maybe I'm just just channeling it. They're trying to find reasons to bring up Tanya Harding, and <laughs> maybe you're Tanya Harding little. <laughs> obsessed maybe uh we haven't gotten any emails from tanya harding yet have we or nancy or nancy kerrigan i guess i didn't extend the invite or the invite last time so nancy kerrigan if you're listening i would love to chat with you too just for funsies yes and uh for me christy yamaguchi oh my gosh yes please slide into my dms yeah (laughs) i would love to chat with you I wonder what we could do to be like, I don't know. I'm sure she's got a Twitter. Just, I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Okay, maybe I maybe I need to do some some work. Be like, Christy, <laughs> tell us. You were there. What was it like being in between all of these Spill the tea big personalities on yes. this icy drama? Yes. <laughs> Would it be iced tea? Iced tea. Yes. Spill the iced tea, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much to share either. Um, tomorrow we are going to see Candyman. That's right. Oh, my partner and I are going to go see that too at some point. But yeah, you said you wanted to... To get the, the free popcorn, right? I don't want the free popcorn. My husband is like, 
so this 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 movie theater chain <laughs> um every tuesdays they do free popcorn with free refills so we're like let's go to a mid-afternoon matinee that sounds fantastic because tickets are cheap yeah and you get free food so that's our plan that sounds awesome i i know we were talking about i don't know what date we were gonna go but soon maybe this friday maybe this friday we'll go see it yes and then we can we can yes. share our thoughts hopefully next by week. next episode we'll both have seen it and we can talk about candy man mm-hmm. fabulous well yeah. and maybe uh we can play candy man by christina aguilera <laughs> circa 2002 <laughs> if they if they allow us to. <laughs> i i don't think she mind she hasn't done anything in a while she could use the press <laughs> she she could use the boost yeah well with that being said, I think we've covered our bases. I think it is. it feels right. It feels right to be transitioning into our story for today. All right, let's get to it. Okay, so this one is for one of our listeners. I love it when we get to do the things that you that you request. Uh, so lovely Allison Beth recommended that we cover a case that resulted in changes to legislation or regulations. Which is super cool because it combines the history aspect that I love and, you know, the blood and guts that you love. Exactly. <laughs> um, so um, you suggested a few examples of cases. However, Allison, I decided, I hope you're okay with this, to go with... <laughs> A case that resulted in major, like, work, uh, employment protection type situations. Um, so OSHA. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, and this week, I am going to be covering a case, which I'm not going to reveal just yet, <laughs> because I want to lead into it. So, oh, Allison, okay. this is for you and for everyone else to enjoy. So, Chris... Let me have you picture something. Okay. Picture it. Sicily, 1912. <laughs> Except not. <laughs> um, this is uh, mid-1910s. Okay. So World War One era. You're down on your luck. Oh. You're struggling to oh. make ends meet. The war just broke out. Oh. Uh, things are very unstable. I don't like this picture that you're painting. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> But you're there. Okay, I'm there. And just when... Where am I? Um, New Jersey. Jersey, okay. Jersey. All right. New Jersey gal. <laughs> gal. Jersey gal. Joyzy. Um, okay, so anyways, you are down on your luck when all of a sudden this great opportunity arises. Oh, okay. There's this irresistible job. You're going to be making triple the amount of any other job available to you at this time that sounds awesome work hours are money. super like chill really flexible work the schedule? type of work is very very easy oh like, i love that you're literally lifting your fingers okay like, you're not doing much you're sitting on your stool sitting pretty pulling in the dough for a really easy job all right this and is, plus this, this is... job makes you popular really you are like the talk of the town how everything is wonderful okay this is this, i i didn't like how it started but this sounds like it's turning turning around it is okay it is. and everything's going great okay and then one day um 
you get this toothache in your in your back molars and you're like okay i got a toothache that's annoying i'll, I'll like you know I'll rinse my mouth more often it'll it'll clear up maybe i'll go to the dentist maybe if, i'll floss for once yeah if it if it gets real bad you might go to a dentist yeah okay and then it just it gets a little worse and a little worse then you notice when you're brushing your teeth you're maybe you're brushing too hard because your gums are starting to bleed a lot that's true they are sensitive yeah but then but then you start to break some bones easy like you try to open a can of of jam and your your wrist breaks oh and then you notice that your shins and your knees are hurting a lot when you're walking and then you know that toothache that you had it it's gotten really really bad and the doctor suggests that you remove some teeth so they they take out all your teeth that are hurting but then your teeth just start falling out oh like, god it's literally my nightmare i literally have dreams nightmares yeah that's of a, losing teeth yeah, that is a legit thing but, yeah but this is real life your your teeth are falling out and man does your jaw Oh, I hate everything that has become of this. Your jaw hurts so freaking bad. You have to carry around a rag on your mouth just to like soak up the constant pus uh, that is coming from your mouth. Ah, uh, the you just had to say the p word. Yeah, and unfortunately, you've you've had to quit that like killer job, like killer job. And oh, are you being literal with that? Well, maybe. I don't know. But you can't go to the dentist anymore because your your legs feel like they're going to break if you walk there. So the dentist makes a house call to inspect this jaw situation. Mm-hmm. Dentist opens up your jaw, and what do they find? Your underneath your gums, your jaw just looks like ash. What? And the dentist says, Chris, I'm sorry, I gotta remove your jaw. What? But that holds my face together. It does, but I'm sorry. You are, you have no top teeth, you have no bottom teeth, and that jaw has got to come out before the infection spreads to your upper jaw. No. So dentist goes in there, and they realize they don't need any tools, because they can literally just pull out your jaw with their hands. Uh, what? First the right side, then the left side. It's like a, it's like a turkey wishbone, like that easy to break. Oh, easier, because as he's pulling it out, it's not coming out as like one clean piece, it's coming out in like little brittle chunks. Oh god, I hate that. Yeah. Um, so as time goes by, your, your back starts to break. Like, you can't sit up anymore. You can only lie down. And you're just, you're just on morphine all the time. Oof. You can't eat. You can't walk. You're bedridden. And then, I'm sorry, Chris, but you died. But I liked living. Yeah. And you liked that job, yeah. right? That really nice job. That cushy job that paid well. Yeah. Um, so the coroner does an autopsy. And the results come back that you had syphilis. What? I don't remember having that. Well, you couldn't have that because you were a virgin. What? 
so how did you get syphilis? And also, everyone knows that syphilis doesn't rot out your jaw, but... That does not sound right. But that's that's what the the doctor, the coroner, who was provided by the company that you worked for... Oh. ...is telling everyone. Well, and then disgracing my good name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's where... What happened to you in the 1910s, like 1917, 18, probably? Um, and that is what is the tragic tale of what happened to countless young women and girls throughout the 1910s, 20s, and early 30s, who these women who succumbed to this exact type of death that I just described would become to be known as the Radium Girls. Oh my gosh, I am so excited for you to be talking about this. This I this book came out a while ago and it has been on my list of things I wanted to read. So I'm super jazzed to hear like get a real feel for it. So mm-hmm. so I first heard about the Radium Girls um in a podcast which recommended the book mm-hmm. as well. Um probably a couple years ago I heard about it and I was just fascinated um and then Netflix actually put out a fictional film titled Radium Girls where it's it's fictional in the sense as the characters were not real people but the storyline is like to the T what happened so it's like these are based on real events and real people's lives, but just the names but are the changed. names are different. So right. we're not specifically pointing at any real individual. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. So before we get into the story of the Radium Girls and the trials and legal and historical outcomes that would follow, first, um, some people, which myself included, may not know what exactly radium is. That's right. I I feel like I have a vague idea, but tell me more. Sure. Okay. So we're going to get a little science-y here. I love a good science bit. This is literally copy and pasted because I'm not a science-y person. <laughs> I'm more left-brained. Um, so radium is a chemical element that readily reacts with nitrogen on exposure to air. All forms of radium are highly radioactive, and when radium decays, ionizing radiation is a byproduct, which can be ex- excited by fluorescent chemicals and cause radioluminescence. Ah, so glow in the dark. Exactly. Okay. Now, I, I from my experience in, uh, like, I love antiques, as you know. And I, I love old clocks and I, and I'm sure this will come up. I have definitely found old wristwatches and like small alarm clocks and stuff like that, that have a glow in the dark dial. So, you know, when you wake up and it's dark and you want to know what time it is, you don't have to go find a light. You can just see by that by the illuminated hands on the clock, what time it is. Mm-hmm. I have one of those clocks. Um, my grandfather brought it back fr- from when he was in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this little tiny gold, probably like 
the size of like like not as chunky as a Rubik's cube, but you know, like that shape. Oh, okay. Um, and it's gold, and it winds up, and it glows. the The hands and the numbers glow at night. Right. And okay. It's, it's very old, and there's not a doubt in my mind that that is radium. Radi- and also that it's probably still radioactive today. That's the thing with radium. Mm-hmm. Um, it literally glows forever. Because which is is great for. Uh, you know, warranty, like, <laughs> guaranteed to glow forever, uh, but also probably not so great for people who are exposed to it in large quantities, because a little tiny dial on your wrist is probably not going to result in oh no, and anyone getting cancer or something right, like that. Right, right. But if you're exposed to it, all the time in huge quantities, I bet that changes really fast. Yep, and we will get into that. Mm -hmm. So radium in the form of radium chloride was discovered by Marie and Pierre Curie in 1898 from ore mined at Jachymov. How do you spell that? J-A-C-H-Y-M-O-V. Yeah, that's about how... uh, (laughs) I don't think I could pronounce it any better. (laughs) Uh, It's in Europe. (laughs) They extracted the radium compound from um, uraninite and published the discovery at the French Academy of Science five days later. Radium was isolated in its metallic state by Marie and André-Louis Debierne through the electrolysis of radium chloride in 1911. So Marie Curie referred to the element she created with her husband Pierre as beautiful radium. Originally to believe to have health and healing benefits, radium was marketed as a wonder cure when it was discovered. Radium was able to shrink the size of tumors, which it became the first step in radium being used in radiation therapy for cancer. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't realize that they figured that out so early. Right. But that would make sense why they thought that, oh my gosh, this if this can do that, like what else can exactly. it do? And I mean, I've definitely heard of like all these kind of quack medicine. Like cure-alls. Yeah, and, and like... Oh, you know, just sit in this box where you'll be like bombarded by radiation and and it'll give you vigor or something like that. And it's like, oh, all it did was just give you cancer <laughs> if you did it enough. Uh-huh. So scientists knew from the get-go, just due to the chemical components, that large amounts of radium were hazardous. Well, and also uh, Marie Curie and her husband, I believe, both died from radiation poisoning. Yes, they did. Yep. But that was like decades, decades later. Um, so it wasn't right away. It was like yeah. long after everything I'm going to talk about. Uh, however, radium companies insisted that small amounts were beneficial to health, which honestly, like in curing cancer... Yeah, right. It I mean, does damage along the way, but it right. can be helpful. It's like a double-edged sword. Yeah, and I mean, I think anybody who's gone through radiation therapy is like, yeah, it it shrinks the cancer and can can help help you get to remission, but 
it's also gonna like just really mess up your body in other ways and drain your energy. So Marie gave herself several unpleasant burns while improperly handling the substance. And Pierre once said he couldn't bear the thought of sharing a room with even a kilogram of this stuff because he was afraid it would blind him and burn off his skin. Yikes. So he knew it was dangerous. Uh Uh-huh. The Curies were working with large quantities of pure radium, and they took serious safety precautions. However, the conventional wisdom at the time was that a little bit of the stuff was good for human health, as we mentioned. Throughout the early 20th century, hundreds of thousands of people drank radium-infused tonic water, brushed their teeth with radium toothpaste, and wore radium cosmetics that gave their skin a bright, cheery glow. Ooh, that all just sounds kind of horrific knowing what we know now where it's like oh i'm willingly put i'm willingly putting on stuff that will make me glow it's like you're not meant to glow like that no honey yeah especially the toothpaste one i just imagine like you're like smiling in the dark oh we'll get there (laughs) it was in 1917 that the invention of radium paint came about Mixed with the right kind of paint, radium would luminesce after exposure to light so that a watch face painted with the stuff could soak up energy during the day and stay visible all night long. It was one of the scientific miracles of a very optimistic age. Unfortunately, that bright element had a dark side. You see, normally, radiation is harmless in small doses. Countless natural sources of this radiation can be found in the average kitchen or bathroom. Even nature is full of it, as the low-energy particles have a hard time penetrating even one layer of skin. Outside the body, it's virtually safe. Inside the body, it wreaks god-awful havoc on the body's tissues and bones. That warming glow of radium put out is caused by elements, atoms, acting like tiny little batteries. Light photons strike the radium atom, bumping its electrons into higher orbit. After the sun sets and it gets dark, those electrons spontaneously drop into lower orbits, emitting a particle and some photons as they go. Hmm. So like, you can actually see radium in certain plants. As I was doing research on this, I was reminded that like, some like Amazonian or like tropical plants, they oh, actually glow at night. That's so cool. And it's because there's low amounts of radium inside of them. And that's just something that's part of their, that, of breed, their, that breed of plant. Yeah, it's just part of their genetic makeup. Wow, it's that's so cool. super cool. When radium is placed next to human cells or in the bloodstream, like when it crosses a mucous membrane, such as the gums in your mouth, it turns into a microscopic machine gun that gets lodged into the body's tissues. The radium then fires off particle after particle at very close range, eventually mutating and killing all the body cells around it. Yikes. So it does not play well with human cells at all. No, they are not friends. (laughs) Uh, Human cells are like little Tommy on the playground, and radium is like, the grown-up thinking sixth grader who just comes along and makes them eat dirt. (laughs) Quite the analogy. Quite the analogy. I'm a school teacher. What do you expect? (laughs) So that's a very, very brief 
summary of what radium is okay. and what it can do. Uh, I, you know, you can read whole novels on radium oh, right. itself. So that, you know, that makes me think of there's this really great book that I would love to revisit. That this, what well, this is making me want to revisit. It's called The Disappearing Spoon by Sam Keen. Okay. And it's all about stories from the periodic table. So, like, oh, cool. different chapters talk about different elements, and there's just. I'm pretty sure there's some stories in there about some of those radioactive elements. I, I probably read it like maybe like 10 years ago at this point, but it was really, really well done. He's a great kind of science writer. Uh, he's got several books that are all kind of science related. So this is making me want to revisit that now too. So so much reading. Yes. Well, I've always got a lot of reading Okay, so now knowing what we know about radium, let's get into it. All right. On April 10th, 1917, an 18-year-old woman named Grace Fryer started to work as a dial painter at the United States Radium Corporation, which I may refer to as USRC as we go along. Um, and she was working in Orange, New Jersey. New Jersey! Where you were from, Chris. Yeah. Um... It was four days after the U.S. had joined World War I, and with two soldier brothers, Grace wanted to do all she could to help the war effort. She had no idea that her new job would change her life and workers' rights forever. With war declared, hundreds of working-class women flocked to the studio where they were employed to paint watches and military dials with the new element of radium paint. Many of them were teenagers, with small hands perfect for this type of artistic work. Dial painters was the trendy new profession for young American and Canadian women. It was artistic and well-paid, and very easy. The pay was fantastic, roughly three times the average working girl's wage at the time. And the work was light. Literally, the work was light. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I see what you see did what there. Did. It's like, it's that's almost like works on like three different levels practically. <laughs> yeah. Also, because the most of the dials were for military use, the women painting the dials felt very important that they were making a difference in helping with the war effort. Wearing a watch with a glow in the dark dial was the hot new fashion accessory, <laughs> made possible by the magic of radium. Promised one advertisement. The work involved using luminous radium paint to make the numbers on the clocks, watches, and aeronautic dials glow in the dark. Back then, radium wasn't considered to be dangerous in small doses, but as we've covered, we know better now. Yes. The job was seen as relatively safe, and the young women and girls uh, followed the technique they've been taught for the painstaking handiwork of painting the tiny dials some of which were only 3.5 centimeters wide. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine painting something that small? That makes my eyes hurt just thinking about it. Like, I think I would just like dab the yeah, whole thing. Like, yeah, just like, be like, and good. That's good. Just a little, <laughs> little blot. Yes. Um, so the girls and women were instructed to sip their paintbrushes between their lips to make a fine point. A practice called lip pointing, or lip dip paint repeat routine. Ew! So they have to like literally like put it, put the the end in their mouth, 
that was in, just in the paint. But remember, radium's healthy, Chris. Oh yeah, it's so good. So for not you. only were they working this high-paid, easy job, but because they were putting the the paintbrush that may not have a whole lot of paint left on it because they just painted with it. Yeah. But they're putting it back in their mouth to make a fine point because these dials were so small. I feel like there's gotta be a better way than using human saliva to like... But you know, painters still do that to this day. Do they though? They do. Okay. I was an art minor. All right. I mean... I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So once a thin layer of white paint paired with a newly discovered element radium was layered onto the dials, their hands naturally glowed and made them easier to read at night or in dark trenches in the battlefields. The women painted up to 200 watches per day, and with every number they painted, they ingested a small amount of radium. There were virtually no precautions taken when they handled and ingested countless doses of radioactive poison day after day, year after year. Ugh, it's just so gross to think of, like, you're literally poisoning yourself at your job and it's you doing it it's not even like someone else forcing it on you it's like you're doing it yourself and you don't know that you're doing it but remember at home people were also drinking radium water yeah brushing their teeth with radium toothpaste wearing radium literally on their face yeah radium makeup there are even like i might mention it later on but there i even saw reports of like cooking recipes that involved radium oh goodness like there's like radium bread and radium what? butter yeah yeah radium butter is something i remember seeing that was sold at stores whoa yeah that's terrifying yeah <laughs> so in contrast to the women who were just like hands-on lips mm-hmm. on with radium the men who worked for usrc wore lead aprons to protect them from the radiation which was known to have a cumulative effect. Oh, that's interesting. So they did know that something was up. Mm -hmm. So they were willing to protect the men with lead aprons, but the women, they could, they could just do whatever. They're fine. They're fine. Let them be. It's such a small amount. I'm sure is what was the argument that I'm sure people made. You are so smart (laughs) because the reason the company gave for this difference was that the male engineers were handling huge bundles and barrels of the materials, which they were. Like, they were the ones transporting it and taking Mm -hmm. it out. Um, So, like, as mentioned, in mass quantities, radium was known to be dangerous. Right. But at the time, they thought small... Small amounts, not dangerous. I mean, it's comparable to, like, alcohol. Drinking in moderation is okay, but, I mean... If you can't finish entire bottles exactly by yourself, that's the problem. Which listeners, if, if that's you, <laughs> if that is you, no judgment. Please go get help. <laughs> um, so the girls were never exposed to more than a small amount at once. Day after day during the war, and for many years after, the radium girls painted military and civilian watches and dials. The paint naturally got all over the girls during this process. Mm-hmm whose clothes and skin would glow when they were on their walk home from work as the sun was setting. The girls thought this was great fun, reassured by their supervisors that they were perfectly safe. This is just like the same 
line of thinking is when kids break open like a glow stick and it's like <laughs> this is so fun it's like also don't get that in your mouth please mm-hmm. <laughs> um so many if not the majority of women even took to wearing their best ball gowns to work on friday so that when they go out to dance afterwards they would be the glowing girl of the night Oh, girls painted spooky. their nails with radium, sprinkled flakes into their hair, wore it as like eyeliner. Oh so my they, gosh. Um, and many of them even applied it to their teeth to give their kiss a pop. Ah, oh my gosh. If but... their girls blew their noses, their handkerchiefs glowed. Ugh. So that's radioactive just sh- boogers. Yeah. Um,. And in their mind, reassured by their employers and by, like, the medical community making radium butter, mm-hmm. they never suspected anything sinister. The entire industry soon dis- devoted to radium. Grocery products, as I mentioned, such as butter and milk, were sold all across Britain and the U.S., laced with it. There was even radium chocolate chocolate bar, I mean, that does sound de- delicious, but <laughs> I'm, that's probably the marketing talking. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> um, all these products mentioned were popular until, until they were discontinued in 1936. Oh, see, so Trader Joe's did exist before they were, they were discontinuing items. <laughs> Radium-infused cosmetics and face creams promised to give a fresh beauty that shines. And there was even radium lace lingerie and radium energy tablets. <laughs> the lingerie really gets me like, can't find it in the dark? Well, <laughs> here you can't miss. Yeah. And apparently also one interesting cure was that radium could cure arthritis, which remember some of your symptoms, Chris, was that your bones were breaking. Oh, yikes. So we'll get rid of your arthritis pain by just breaking your bones. Well, I guess... Because that'll hurt worse. Well, yeah, I guess it's like, well, if it's literally eating away at your bones, then there's nothing to rub up against, right? Mm-hmm. So manufacturers funded research to support their claims that radium was very safe and, you know fine to handle which is crazy that uh this is probably a practice that still persists to this day where oh yeah of course uh uh like a medical company is going to do a study that they hope will prove that their device or that their medication is the best Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not always totally free of bias right um if the dial painters ever question their bosses of, you know, you know, as we mentioned, why are the men being protected and we, we're not? Mm-hmm. And told to, like, even put it in our mouths. Um, they told the girls that radium would make them good-looking so and, and desirable. And this sounds awful, but um, because, you know, beauty standards... The, the the painters just picked up their brushes and just continued to do it. No questions asked. Of course. I mean, if it's going to make me beautiful and desirable, why wouldn't I continue? Right. And for several years, 
working at the radium plant was fun. So many of the employees encouraged their sisters, nieces, sisters-in-laws, daughters. And by 1920, several large families were working on USRC's floors, totaling around 300 girls per factory at the peak of their operations. Wow, so... And there were dozens of these factories. Wow, so they're like all over the place. From Jersey, as you'll see, to Illinois. They're in Canada. I mean... Wow, so it's like a pandemic of radium. (laughs) However, in January of 1922, radium girl Molly Magia of the New Jersey factory got a toothache. She went to the dentist, who told her the molar needed to come out. A few weeks later, she was back to have the tooth next to that one pulled as well. Neither wound ever healed, but they grew together to one big open sore that seeped blood and pus into Molly's mouth constantly. Oh, that's, I, that sounds absolutely horrifying. More teeth had to be removed after that and so forth until all of her teeth were pulled. By May, her dentist thought Molly needed surgery to remove a fast-growing abscess he found on her jaw. When he got her gums open, the bone didn't look right, as it was too ashy and gray, so he gently prodded it with his finger. To his shock and horror, and to the unbearable pain of Molly, the whole bone crumbled under his fingerprint like ashes in a fireplace. That is, uh, like, I'm picturing this, and it, it it's like encountering, like, burned human remains mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. So you're, like, burning from the inside out. Basically. Ugh. Instead of removing a tumor, he wound up digging Molly's entire left jaw out with nothing but his fingers. Yikes. And... It just easily lifted out. And can you imagine the pain? And the, just the horror of, of realizing that your face is falling apart, basically. And I will post a picture, not of like the inside of her jaw, but just her. Mm -hmm. And this poor woman is... I bet, like, because they they probably didn't have anything to basically replace. No. That, to like, at least give your, your face the structure... So I assume it probably looks like her face is caved in. Uh, a little different, you'll see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll be. I don't know if I'm eager to <laughs> see this picture, but uh, curiosity has definitely got mm-hmm. my attention there. So unbeknownst to the dentist, the radium had perforated the bone cells and stripped them of all calcium. It had, like the little machine gun, shredded the collagen inside the bone and left it as a little more than a pile of splinters. Whoa, so is it's just hollowed out. Yeah. Whoa. That summer, the rest of Molly's jaw came out, followed by bits of her ear, like her inner ear bones. Ugh. By September of 1922, eight months after her first toothache, Molly Magia was dead. The tumors had cut into her jugular vein and flooded her throat with blood, choking her to death in her sleep. Oh, that is so, such a horrific way to go. Mm-hmm. 
It's so sad because, especially because they're like, oh, well, and I'm sure at this point they hadn't made the connection no, yet. No, no idea. But it's like, oh yeah, this job, it'll make you so beautiful. It'll make you so desirable. And how old was she when she died? Did it, did it say? No. I mean, we could find out easily. Yeah. Uh, if you maybe want to Google as yes. I continue. So Molly wasn't the only girl this happened to. Radium passes easily through the gums and into the blood. So around the time Maggie got sick, all sorts of odd symptoms were cropping up around all shop girls. One suffered a total collapse of her vertebrae, as the radiation did to her spine what had done to Molly's jaw. Others developed skin cancer, cataracts, throat cancer, and other symptoms of long-term radiation exposure, such as loose teeth and hair loss. At that time, although radium was known to be acutely dangerous, nobody had any experience with radiation sickness, so like the connection was not made. Of course. Molly's death, which at the time she was 24, there we go, had been attributed to syphilis which the company gleefully cited after the accusations and lawsuits started to roll in. That's just horrific that they were like, see, it's definitely not anything work-related. And, you know, here this beautiful young woman just is ravaged by this, and they, they can't wait to just, like, toss her aside. And sweep it under the rug. Yeah. In New Jersey, the women's illnesses had an understandable effect on the profession's popularity. Dial painting declined. But 800 miles away in Ottawa, Illinois, where a new studio had opened, the painters were unaware of the problems, and their employers did not inform them of the now-established danger, wherein these girls in Ottawa continued in the lip dip, paint, repeat process. Ugh. I just hate that, that that there's a clear danger that they're, that the company is definitely aware of, but they're not willing to put in place any kind of protections for their workers. Because money is greed. Uh, I'm, it's sick, but money can really be an ugly thing. Absolutely. By the mid-1920s, dozens of radium girls at each factory were falling ill. The radium they'd ingested was eating away at their bones. So all these girls that were falling ill, many of the women's legs shortened and spontaneously fractured due to their Oof. bones just becoming brittle and hollow. And so just from everyday use. Mm-hmm. Their hair was falling out. They were going deaf, uh, constantly breaking and losing their teeth. And some went blind, and many became bedridden before they succumbed to their radiation poisoning. God, and these are all probably... These were young. Young girls. women. Like, Moms raising, you know, like five kids weren't doing this job because, you know, they were at home raising kids. Yeah. These were all, as I mentioned, many of them teenagers. God. And it's just like you have your whole life ahead of you until suddenly you don't. 
So way back before the USRC had started their operations of dial painting, the firm's president had commissioned safety studies on the glowing substance, and they came away satisfied that radium was safe. However, by 1924, when dozens of radium girls were sick or dead, an independent study, one that USRC did not pay for, established that radioactive paint is indeed hazardous when ingested. Outraged at the implication and financial ramifications of this study, USRC did something modern listeners are familiar with from dealing with tobacco and big oil companies. They paid for another study that found what they wanted to find, that swallowing radioactive paint is good for you. Wow. It's like, okay, so why are all these women in the same profession getting the same illness? Like, there's no other explanation for it. So, none of this would fly, though, after 1925, when Dr. Harrison Martland studied the issue for himself. First, Martland reopened the case of Molly Magia. At that time, cause of death was established by the coroner's jury, which was made up of laymen and acted like a jury in a court case. It goes without saying that this is dysfunctional in pathology as it is in a criminal case. So Matlin, as a medical officer of Essex County, abolished the jury system and hired competent medical examiners. As expected, Molly's corpse showed no sign of syphilis, but it had clearly been mangled by radiation. Similar results came through for the other girls who had died, and eventually the USRC was driven into ruin by medical uh, professionals and court costs. In New Jersey, the story of the abuse perpetrated against the workers is distinguished from most such cases by the fact that the ensuing litigation was covered wildly by the media. Plant worker Grace Fryer, which remember her from the beginning, That's right, yeah. decided to sue, but it took two years for her to find a lawyer willing to take on U.S. radium. Even after Grace found a lawyer, the litigation process moved slowly. At their first appearance in court on January of 1928, two women were bedridden and none of them could raise their arms to take the oath of faith. Four factory workers, Edna Husman, Catherine Schwab, and sisters Quinta McDonald and Albina Larisse, joined the suit. Litigation and media sensations surrounded the case and established legal precedent, triggering the enactment of regulations governing labor safety standards, including a baseline of probable suffering. The case was settled in the autumn of 1928 before the trial was deliberated by the jury, and the settlement for each and the radium girls was $10,000. Only $10,000. But that's equivalent to $151,000 in today's standards, and a 600-year annuity equivalent to $9,000 a year, plus $12 a week, which is $200 a week for, in today's money, for all of their lives while they lived. Additionally, all medical and legal expenses incurred would also be paid by the company. 
It's like damn, damn right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, that's the that's the case in New Jersey. Okay. In Illinois, employees began asking for compensation as well for their medical and dental bills, uh, starting around 1927, but were refused by management. The demand for money by sick and dying former employees continued into the mid-1930s before a suit before the Illinois Industrial Commission was brought. In 1937, five different women found an attorney by the name of Leonard Grossman that would represent them in front of the commission, but by this time, Radium Dial had closed, moving to New York. So Radium was like realizing like we can't do work here because everyone knows what oh, corrupt so business we're doing. So let's move somewhere else. Where they don't know what exactly. we're doing. That is so, so just skeezy. Mm-hmm. So the Illinois Industrial Commission did retain a $10,000 deposit left by Radium Dial when it disclosed that they could not find any insurance to cover the cost of the employees' suits. In the spring of 1938, the commission ruled in favor of the women. The attorney representing the interests of Radium Dialed appealed, hoping to get the verdict overturned. And again, commission judge George B. Marvel found for the women. Radium Dial appealed over and over and over, taking the case all the way to the Supreme Court in 1939. Wow, so they're going to drag this out. So they they started asking for compensation for their medical bills in 27. And so I doubt many of the original women even lived to see the end of this case. Correct. God, that's just so despicable that they're like, well, we'll just wait for them to all die and then hopefully they won't be a problem anymore. Pretty much. They just kept appealing, 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 pushing it off. And honestly, you, I think you're probably pretty spot on because if there's no one suing them because they're dead, then right. who it do makes, they have to pay? It makes me wonder how that works with if, if you're representing somebody and they die before... A case can be settled that can you still I mean I, carry I that imagine out? the families can start a new one but I don't know if the original one yeah, would carry I wonder through. but on October 23rd of 1939 the court decided not to hear the appeal for a final time and the lower ruling was upheld in the end this case had been won eight times before radium dial was ever forced to pay Whoa, so the whole time, so I guess while uh, while things are in litigation, they don't have to pay anything because it's not officially settled because they keep appealing. Correct. And they've got money to kick the can down the road as long as possible. Mm-hmm. That's just absolutely sick. Mm-hmm. So... In the end, both the cases in New Jersey and Illinois uh, were in the Radium Girls' favors. Which, rightfully so. Um, unfortunately, as as you preluded, many of them died during the trials. 
even more of them died after the trials. And as like we saw, they would get, you know, this amount of money every year, every week of their life. It didn't last long. Right? I mean, it probably would have been even less expensive for the company had they just settled things early. Be like, well, they're not going to... They're not going to last that long, so it, it's really not going to cost you that much. Well, right, but also by, like, delaying it, mm-hmm. that delayed when they had to start making payments. Yep. And because these women's lives were not going to be long. Right, I mean, and it's like you can't do anything else because you're dying of cancer. But it's like, you know, these girls, they knew they were dying. Mm-hmm. Money was not what they were concerned about. They just wanted the company to pay in a different sense. Yes, they wanted they justice. Wanted that, or... yeah, they, yeah, exactly. They wanted justice for for what the company had done to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, many of them didn't get to see that justice. Mm-hmm. And the ones that did, the financial portion of that did not last long because they did not last long. Right. They did not survive. However, their sacrifice wasn't in vain. Dr. Martland's work had attracted attention, and in the 1930s, several research institutes approached him for advice in safely handling even more dicey elements, such as uranium and plutonium. Oh, as we know, how (laughs) those turn out can be used for for good and for great wickedness. In 1942, physicists at the University of Chicago successfully established a brief chain reaction. Three years later, the Manhattan Project produced several atomic bombs. For decades afterward, the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission credited the research and experience gained in the USRC shop with helping them devise handling and safety protocols that kept thousands of other young workers safe during World War II during the creation and the handling ah, of the of atomic bombs. Wow. I mean, so granted, just imagine how many more people might have suffered and died had that uh, that research not been done of yeah. like how to safely handle radioactive elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if the radium girls had not come forward and started these lawsuits, Dr. Martlins would have never done research on radium, which means he never would have done research on plutonium and uranium, which means... Which means that pretty much, you you think of all the great minds that were were part of the, the Manhattan Project, the creation of the atomic bomb, probably all of those minds would have been lost... Because they 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 wouldn't have had the protections in place to keep them alive. Basically, right. they would have probably all died of radiation poisoning. So even today, Dr. Martland's work on the radium girls and the effects of long-term exposure is being cited, and it's not too far out to say that tens of thousands of people around the world have benefited from what was learned from the radium girls. The Radium Girls saga holds an important place in history of both the field of health, physics, and labor rights movements. 
the right of individual workers to sue for damages from corporations due to labor abuse was established as a result of the Radium Girls case. In the wake of the case, industrial safety standards were demonstrably enhanced for many decades. In 1949, U.S. Congress passed a law giving workers the right to compensation for occupational illness, paving the way for the rest of the world, and that was the start of OSHA. Wow, so that really does have its roots in this particular case. Uh Uh-huh. That's very cool. While the New Jersey factory featured the most famous case of radium dial painting, it was far from being the only one. It is believed there were 4,000 workers hired at factories across the U.S. and Canada using radium to paint the dials. And, even though safety conditions improved, the watches were still being manufactured up until the late 1960s. Wow, okay, so they were still using radium to make these watches. To paint the dials, just not putting it in your mouth. Yeah, okay. Which I guess that is an improvement. Right, yes, as long as no one's ingesting it. Vindication came too late for most of the radium girls. Many died young, usually in horrible pain and fear, while others lived many years with weakened bones, lost teeth, and various forms of cancer. After a typically protracted and ugly battle, court battle, some of the girls were compensated, others weren't, and life went on. Mabel Williams of Olympia, Washington, was one of the last surviving radium girls. In 2015, she passed away at the age of 104 and had worked for just a very short time for USRC at the age of 16. Wow, so she is extremely fortunate to have survived and especially getting exposed at such a young age. Yes. But it's thankful that she didn't work there, it sounds like, for an extremely long time. Which has probably saved her life. Yes. And amazing that she got to live such a long, full life and tell the story. Another one of the last surviving radium girls, May Keen, told America's National Public Radio in 2014 she felt lucky to have quit her job at a factory in Connecticut in 1924 after just a few days because she didn't like the gritty taste of the radium paint. Realizing she wasn't enjoying her job, her boss asked her if she'd like to quit, and she happily agreed. Keene told NPR, I often wish I knew his name and that I could meet him afterwards to thank him, because I believe I would have been just like the rest of them. Wow. How how strange that, like, your boss at this, this place was the one who just was like, okay, well, you're not, like... Do you want to quit? Like, I will allow you to quit and not and not make a big deal about it. My guess is that because she didn't like the taste, she was... Remember, the girls were expected to paint up to 200 dials a day. A day. And so if she didn't like the taste of the paint, she probably was slow at it. She probably wasn't meeting quota. And her boss might have been like, hey, girl, um, you know, maybe this isn't for you type of thing. But either way, it, like you said, it probably saved her life. 
The Radiance Girls case was one of the first in which an employer was made responsible for the health of the company's employees. It led to life-saving regulations and ultimately to the establishment of Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Before that was set up, 14,000 people died on the job every year. Today, it's just over 4,000. Wow, that still seems like a crazy number, but like going from basically... 14,000 yeah, to 4,000. Like more than 10,000. And I think like the way people are dying today are different. Yeah. You know, it's like construction accidents. Yeah, accidental um, stuff more so maybe than Maybe like, like a... A police officer getting into, into a car chase, you know, oh, yeah, they might they might die. Hazard. It. It's different than actively exposing your employees to poison, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's very much more like accidents today, not cover up for murder, <laughs> right? Um, but you won't read many of these girls' names in history books, and for the most part, they've largely been forgotten. However, these girls still shine through history with all that they have achieved in their two short lives. And they shine in other ways, too. For radium has a half-life of 1,600 years, and it's still embedded in their bones. Wow, so they're going to be luminescent for... A half-life is 1,500 years, so they will, their bones underground are literally glowing today and for another, like, couple, like, uh, what, like, almost, almost 2,000 more years, their, their bones will glow. And it is stated that if you stand over a radium girl's grave with one of those a Geiger counter. A Geiger counter. Mm-hmm. It will... It will read it. Yes, it can read radium through the casket, through six feet of soil. And whatever casing might be around yes. the casket. Exactly. Holy moly. That's crazy. Yes. And, and that's the story of the radium girls. The very sick treatment they received by their employers and the trial cases that paved the way for OSHA and workers' protection and workers' compensation. Wow, that is a super fascinating story. And And one... this was a this was a summary. Oh yeah. I could have I could have given y'all like <laughs> a three parter yeah. on this. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh that's I mean, these girls are literal heroes. Right. That it took so much courage, especially to, like, you've got so many things going against you. Like, one, like, you're a woman bringing a suit against a big company in a time. Being that today is already, like, girl, you got a big hill to climb. Yeah. Imagine it as a woman in the 1910s right when or the 20s rather yeah i was gonna say like uh women had like just gotten the right to vote even. Uh-huh. like and now you're gonna you're gonna take on a big company so it took a ton of courage that it did to step up and 
And also uh, the fact that, especially with a lot of the side effects being disfiguring and, and like scarring, uh, it, you know, it couldn't have been easy from even just be like, well, you're going to be in the spotlight and everyone's going to see what this job has done to you. And it's not pretty. Um, yeah. So, I mean, as mentioned, the very, very first court hearing uh, in New Jersey, two of the women were bedridden. They couldn't mm-hmm. come. And many of the ones that did come, their bodies were so frail, they couldn't lift their right hand when trying to give the oath of faith. God. And there's photos of women, you can Google this, of women giving testimonies from a bed in their house. Wow. Because they were just so debilitated that they could not. They couldn't even get out of bed to get to the courthouse. Right. Um, and then just um, on a side note, you mentioned how like Marie and Pierre Curie actually died uh-huh. from exposure. Um, so they did. It was much, much later. They, they actually lived quite long lives. But Marie Curie's diary that she kept while working on radium, its pages glow so, so bright to this day wow so even the diary is radioactive the book is radioactive and it's kept in a radioactive like safe vault within a vault whoa because the radiation on this book is just bonkers wow because like the book didn't leave the lab yeah i suppose that makes sense yeah uh, yeah um but yeah so for my sources, real quick, um, the book Radium Girls mm-hmm. by Kate Moore was one of them. Um, also, there is an, an article titled Radium Girls on environmentalhistory.org. There is the article Unbelievable True Story of the Radium Girls from Voyager uh, from Britannica.com uh, by Don Vaughan, there's Radium Girls, the women who fought for their lives in a killer workspace. And then from the New Zealand Herald, uh, there is the article, The Unbelievable True Story of America's Radium Girls by Richard Stockton. Oh, also, um, I did, uh, my the, what I did first was I did watch Netflix's uh, Radium Girls. Okay, and um, it is just called Radium Girl. It's such a good title. You can't really and like I highly suggest y'all watch this because it is. I mean, the names are changed, but the events are true, and you see these these young women full of life going to work. They're so excited. There's even scenes of them like going into the factory at night and just like you know, sprinkling it on their hair and, like, putting fun, like, makeup on, like, not, like, your traditional makeup, doing, like, fun stuff, yeah. you know, like, dots around your eyes <laughs> or... And then just watching some of the main characters who's, like... I mentioned the one woman whose spine collapsed. They feature her in the film. Molly Magia is featured in the film, but just with a different name. Mm-hmm. It's very much obvious that it was her because just the chain of events are exactly what I described to you and then the court cases and all this 
the backlash and the support that they received because many people praised them as heroes. Mm-hmm. But there were others that were criticizing them because remember, they were painting watches and dials for the war. Mm-hmm. And they were called, you know, unpatriotic. Oh my god. Not Americans. I roll. Because they weren't supporting the troops. They were actively, like. It's like they're literally giving their life mm-hmm. so that they can see what time it is. Right. Yes. But. So there you have it. That's, wow. That's just one of the many cases yes. uh, in history that have changed. Changed laws, changed regulations, yes. and it's a very, very unfortunate situation that brought about a positive change. Right. This is the uh, the the devious nature of this case is the in the the kind of greed of the company. Yes, exactly. And wow, and it's it was an extremely important piece of labor history so thank you for sharing that today great great job thank you um well i'm glad you enjoyed it yes well i hope all of our listeners did too uh you know here is your history lesson for the week yes um and uh, you know i mean if you really want to know what time it is at, at two in the morning thankfully we all have a different type of glow, which is our smartphone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for coming, everyone. Yes. Thanks um, Thanks for coming into Patrick's home where we're recording. Yes, it's been <laughs> lovely. Um, and until next time. Bye. bye.